Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning as we gather as God's people, as his children, as brothers and sisters. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together. In my wrestling and in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will
Father, as we gather today, we are in awe of who you are and of your desire to know us and to be known by you and to fill our lives with the fullness of your very being. We come today offering praise and thanksgiving. We come today giving honor and glory to you. And we pray that our worship will be pleasing to you because we come with hearts open to you and with the desire to give you all that we are. Thank you for being present with us and for all that you're going to do and want to do during this time together. We give you thanks through Jesus Christ. Amen. It is so great to see you as we gather for worship again today. Let me encourage you to take a few moments and uh, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship.
it's a happy and safe place to be. A chance to come in contact with families that we wouldn't necessarily cross paths with. One of the big blessings is just to have contact with parents and siblings, although many of those older kids have been in our class over the years. We even have had some of the moms and dads in our class years yeah. ago because we've been doing this close to 30 years. Another real blessing is the opportunity to have Academy students come and work with us in the class. They're enthusiastic and very helpful, and I think they also learn that there's a place for them in the church where they can serve others through serving these kids and the families that they represent. One of the greatest blessings I have first, I think I love to see the changes in children as they grow up. I have them in kindergarten, and I really, really enjoy seeing them returning and giving me hugs and wanting to be part of the class and sneaking in the class so they're first and second graders. Um, and also it has given me a chance to use materials that my daughter used to use in her classes and after she passed away it was nice to be able to use her materials and her furniture in a Sunday school room. It makes me feel close to her. They learned what a prayer request is and they are anxious to pray. And that to me is great to be able to show them how to have such a good God. Uh, the biggest blessing um, teaching Sunday school is going over the Bible stories um, in a way that you have to get deep enough or, or grasp it life application for the kids. Um, and saying stories over and over again, um, they're not saying. They're, they're, there's, there's a truth that's alive and inspired, and you get to experience that more because you were digging into it on a regular basis. Um, and I guess uh, the second part of that lesson is watching the kids who uh, have gone to study school maybe for years um, and know the stories, and you still get that aha in your faces. And that's just, that's just a neat thing. I, I really enjoy that. It's just fun watching the kids grow up and knowing that you've uh, been part of their lives and their growing process. And also, since I was in charge of the snacks, I probably know what every kid in hope of the paper snack is. And what their allergies are. <laughs> what their allergies are. One of the greatest blessings of teaching the sixth grade catechism class is having the young people think things through and come up with their own way of expressing the ideas that we've talked about. Another blessing is watching the young people begin to use their gifts and talents to serve in the church. <coughs> One of my favorite blessings is having students from previous years stop by on Sunday morning to say hi. Well, we really like having the children come in as two-year-olds too. Introduce. Good morning. Thank you so much for all of those that are helping in our children's ministries. A special thank you to the Maleys, the Blues, the Moors, and the Taylors for all of the years of service that they have provided to our children. I suppose if you added up all of those years, it would probably be close to 100, which I think is amazing. I'm so thankful to report that we are fully staffed for all of our children's ministry programs this year. 
And it's a wonderful blessing to work with such great Sunday school superintendents and junior church teachers and, and children's church leaders and so many dedicated people that have made our uh, Sunday school program and our children's ministry program in general just a, an awesome place for our kids to be. I'm very excited to talk a little bit about our Wednesday night kids ministry, which is starting back up soon. September 20th at 6 p.m. in the foyer of the community room is where we will begin things with our sign-up time. And then October 4th, we'll kick it off. So there will be a wonderful time of exploring the parables of Jesus with our first through sixth graders. As they just go around from station to station together. And somebody asked if I would be specific about what the needs might be. And um, if, if you uh, would like to help out in that ministry, there are several areas. But one in particular is we... Are, I'm hoping this will be an outreach to the children at Belfast School. We're going to actually have Mr. Blue drive our church van over to the school and pick up kids and then drop them off again. So we do need someone who would be willing to ride along and be um, an extra set of hands for um, Mr. Blue as he's doing that. If you have any um, craft projects or artwork or anything like that that you would like to um, incorporate into our program, let me know and we would love to work with you as well. We'll also continue with our Operation Christmas Child Packing Party, which will be a church-wide thing on um, November 8th at 6 o'clock. And another exciting program I want to introduce to you is the 5 and 2 program, which is our, what our junior church is working with. It's named after the, the little boy who brought the five loaves and two fish to Jesus, and he multiplied them. And the um, junior church children will be collecting change in little piggy banks and using that change to send to World Hope. And they will multiply that among all the other churches that are participating and, and help with children who are not sponsored yet and need to have their school fees paid for the year. So again, thank you so much for all those who have helped with our children's ministry. Thank you for the whole congregation for welcoming me back here in this ministry position. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's such a blessing. So thank you very much. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time.
Father, we thank you for your grace that is poured out on us and the whole world. Grace that comes to us to transform us, to make us new, offering life to us. As we gather today, we are reminded that uh, a part of your greatness is to want relationship with us. And part of that relationship is coming in prayer, opening our hearts to you. Father, this morning we have gathered here from a variety of places, a variety of experiences. And we all come with a variety of needs. This morning we pray that you will meet us right at our point of need. We pray, Father, that, that you will help us to, uh, to be agents of healing and of grace in a world that is broken and hurting. We pray, Father, that that you will give us faith to trust you for the future that lies ahead, for the needs of our lives that we aren't exactly sure how they're going to be met. But we trust you. Father, there are a number of people and circumstances listed in our bulletin that we, many of them, we pray for them week after week. And we do that because you have told us to pray And to not give up. Because we do this as an act of trust in you. That you are at work. We want to connect ourselves and align ourselves with the work that you are doing. And because we want to encourage people for whom we pray. That they are loved and not forgotten and cared for. We pray for all who are grieving. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. And we ask for your presence, your healing, comforting, grace-filled presence on each of them. Father, we continue to pray for refugees throughout the world. We pray for for your help to them in difficult circumstances. We, we continue to pray for our nation. We continue to pray for all who have been affected by the recent natural disasters, earthquake, hurricanes. We ask that you would bring healing in broken, difficult, pain-filled circumstances. We pray, Father, for your continued grace among the, um, the people who are meeting the needs in these places of disaster. And we ask, Father, that you will help us as we engage ourselves in supporting and caring and being a part of loving people in great need. We do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We continue to pray for them as they continue to face hardship and difficulty. For the Christians in Bangladesh, they are facing a very unique circumstance as they respond to to hundreds of thousands of Muslim people who are fleeing across the border into Bangladesh. People who have maybe have declared themselves as enemies of Christians. We pray that in this in this circumstance you will give to Christians, many of whom have been persecuted, the ability to love and care and embrace people who are in difficult circumstances. Be present in your people.
We pray, Father, for uh, the ministries of this church. We thank you for the ministry that you've allowed us to do with children. We continue to pray that you'd give us grace as we work with our children and nurture them in the faith. And we pray for the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg and the ministry that they have and Pastor Nash. And we ask that your anointing would continue to be upon this church as it continues to reach out into the community of Hamburg and beyond to share the gospel with people who need to know. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being present with us. We pray all of this in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's Old Testament scriptures are selections from the book of Joel. The word of the Lord came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children, and let your children tell it to their children, and let their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy feast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent 
and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locust and the young locust, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Then you will know that I, the Lord your God, dwell in Zion, my holy hill, Jerusalem will be holy. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip new wine, and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert waste, because of violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem through all generations. Shall I leave their innocent blood unavenged? No, I will not. The Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of the Lord. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church and Junior's Church. Stand with us. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your
So the more I get into these minor prophets, the more I'm asking myself, why did I get into this in the first place? 
Earlier this week, I thought, I, I think I have this whole, I think I have this thing of Joel figured out. And I have this, I have this nice, neat package that we put it in. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized there's a, it's just more complex. And, and, it, and it's got tensions. And, and it's, it's difficult to pin down. But in a sense, you know, that, that's, that's being a follower of God. Is we're always wrestling, we're always trying to think, we're always trying to figure out, trying to hear, trying to live in, in understanding the tensions of who God is and of who we are. You, you begin this prophecy of Joel and he talks about locusts and locusts everywhere. It's not just enough to send one thing a locust and not even two things a locust, but three, three times the locusts come. It was weird. Last Sunday, after the 11 o'clock service, I was standing in the back of the forehead, and I was looking out the windows, and there was a swarm of bugs out there. And I thought, I wonder what that is. I've never seen that before. And I walked out, and I walked down there, and people were saying, we can't leave the church because there was a swarm of bees. That was, it was up in the bell tower, but there was this huge swarm right above the entrance to the church there, and they were making their way around different places. They were honeybees, so they weren't attacking people. But, but I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird. This should have been last, next week when we talk about Joel and the locusts, right? What the weird thing was is Monday, early evening, I came out of a meeting and I went out to my car and the thing was just covered with gnats. And now I'm starting to get a little bit nervous. You know, I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, we got bees, you got gnats, and a locust. And, you know, what, what I found is that it, it doesn't take much for your mind to start jumping to conclusions. And you start thinking about things. That's one of the things that we have to be careful about when we're talking, when we look at scripture and we have these kinds of, of stories where we make a leap to say, well, this is the way it was then. And so we have an exact parallel to the way it is now. You hear people want to do that with some of the natural disasters that come upon the earth. And people are making all kinds of judgments about what God is doing or not doing. And I think that's a dangerous thing to do. Because when you look at the book of Joel, Joel is not speaking to any particular, uh, he's not speaking to the world at large. He is speaking to God's people. And if you wanted to equate what Joel is saying to today, it would be disasters come upon the church. It is the church that he's addressing. It is God's people. It is people who have said, I'm a follower of God, in their case of Yahweh, of Jesus, and of, of the Lord comes to us and says, there are things in your life and in your lives that I need to talk to you about. He is addressing the sin of God's people. He is addressing the times when we live for ourselves rather than God. And, and the place where Joel focuses his attention is on the great promise that God has given to his people. It is not a coincidence that the locusts come and eat up the produce of the land. From the very beginning, God's promise to Abraham and eventually to Israel is the land. Over and over and over again, you hear God saying to them, I'm going to, prom- I'm going to bring you into this land. I'm going to, he says to Abraham, I'm going to give your children this land. He says to the Israelites, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt into this land, this productive, beautiful, prosperous land. 
This land that's described as flowing with milk and honey, which is simply an image, a metaphor of all the great things that God wants to do for his people. I am going to bless you with this land. And this land is going to be the place where you know I dwell, I'm with you, and and I will produce great things for you. I will bless you. And the whole point of that, I think, is that God will bless them in that land... And that will be so productive that all the nations around them are going to look at them and say, Wow, that's what happens when you follow Yahweh? Your life is blessed? Maybe we'd like to follow Yahweh. Tell us more about this God that you worship. Now the problem is, again, we want to take that and say, Okay, when you're blessed by God, you have all these material possessions. That's not what he's saying. He's simply saying, I've got a promise for you. I've got a blessing for you. I want to bring into your life as my people so that people can understand the kind of God that I am who loves to bless his people. That's why God, I think, is so upset when Israel gets to the borders of the Jordan River. And they say, mm, I don't think we want to go in. It looks too dangerous. It looks too, we're too afraid. And, and that's why God says, fine, you guys aren't going to enter in. It's, it's basically they're saying, God, we don't really want the blessings you want to give us. We don't really trust you. We don't really think you can do for us what you've promised to do. We don't think your blessings are all that great. We don't think it's worth it. We'd rather go back to Egypt. So they come into the land. The problem is when they come into the land and God blesses them with all of the greatness of his, of his character and who he is in the land, they abuse it. They don't let the land rest as God has commanded. They shed innocent blood in the land. They manipulate and use the land for their own selfish ends. And the land, and and this is what happens with sin. Sin always leads to destruction. You see the image that he paints here in Joel. And he says, uh, before before the locusts come, the land is beautiful and lush. But as soon as the locusts come through... It's devastated. That's what happens. That's what sin does. Sin always leads us to destruction, individually and corporately. And God is saying to us, you're on a pathway of sin. You're turning away from me. You're being selfish. You're ignoring me. You're in the land. One of the most heinous things they did was to worship the land. How many times in the, you read in the in the Kings and the Chronicles about how they go up to every high hill in Isaiah and they worship the trees. They worship these. They worship the the blessings that God has given them, and that's always a temptation for us. God has given us great blessings, relationships, family. He's given us health. He's given us education. He's given us all of the things of life. And what do we do? We have a tendency to worship those things instead of the God who gives them to us. And when we do that, it doesn't lead to a better life. It leads to an empty, struggling, difficult life. And so we find Israel on the brink of destruction. This day of the Lord that is coming is a frightening day. You read the first chapter and a half of Joel, and it is frightening. It's one of those things you kind of cringe when you read it. Of just As God just keeps telling them over and over again, this is where this day, this is what this day is going to be for you. And then you come to verse 12 of chapter 2, and God says, but. There's always a but God. There's always God saying, but, I'll do this for you. Return to me. 
Turn around. We talked about this last week of repentance and turning around. And God is saying, it doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to live in the consequences and the pain of sin that, that so easily absorbs you. You can be set free. Return to me. Turn around. It says, rend your hearts, not your garments. You know, it's common in the, in the Old Testament days that when someone was in mourning, they would put on sackcloth, they would put ashes on their hair, they would tear their garments as a sign of their distress and their pain. And God says, it's, it, you know, it's fine if you do that, but you've got to mean it. And they were going, the rituals they were doing were empty rituals. And he says, what I'd really rather have is that you come to me, you rend your heart, which in essence he's saying, confess your sins. Acknowledge that you need me. Acknowledge that, that you, have, you have turned from me. Come in, in, in and ask my, for my help. And this is the returning part. This is the hinge point of the whole prophecy. It's all destruction and punishment and threat until you get to 2, 12 to 17. And now it's return to me. And things can be different. A.W. Tozer once said, we, God will take nine steps toward us. But we have to take the tenth step. We have to take that step toward him. It doesn't, the, our step doesn't then uh, kick into gear God's nine steps. God's nine steps call us to take our one step. But God will not repent for us. God will not turn us. We have to decide. We have to choose. We have to want to return to God. And sometimes I think God lets us feel the pain of our sin in order to remind us that we need him. To lead us to a place where we say, you know what? I I realize now that I need God. I need to turn. I've turned away from God. I'm living my own life. I'm going my own way. I'm making selfish decisions. And I need to turn. I think sometimes God lets us feel the guilt and the shame of the sins that we commit and the the decisions that we make so that we see how much we need Him and what life is really like without Him. The most amazing things to me is that after everything God has said in the first half of this prophecy to Israel and how how frightening the day of the Lord is going to be. God says, if you will return to me, if you will turn, I've got a whole different scenario for you. Most of the prophets, all the prophets in one way or another have have a word of hope. But Joel may have more than any of them. Because often it sort of is at the end of it. It's maybe seven-eighths of the book is warning and the last one-eighth is here's the promise and the blessing. But in Joel, it's really 50-50. And he spends the second half of the book describing the ways in which God will bless his people who return to him. Perhaps the most profound blessing he tells us is at the end of chapter 2 beginning of verse 28, where he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And the amazing thing about this is that when he pours out his spirit, it's not on a few select people. It's on everybody. 
I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people. And he takes the time to to tell us the categories of people. It's people we expect and people we don't expect. People we may look up to, people we may look down on. He takes the time to mention men who have who you would expect the spirit to be upon. They have all the privilege in that culture, but he also says on women as well. And upon uh, upon young men who are vibrant and who have all kinds of new ideas but are often naive about life and old men who have lived and have wisdom but sometimes we think they're outdated. Everybody. Everyone. I think that speaks to what the nature of the kingdom is always intended to be. That God, the nature of the kingdom has always been equality. The nature of the kingdom has always been and always will be not a class structure of people, but equality. God looks on all of us and says you have value and worth. You have significance. And despite the fact that what the world tells you, despite the fact that what sometimes the church tells you, we all have significance in the kingdom. We all have gifts and we're called to use them. I think it speaks to the fact that there is no one that we can't learn from. There is no one who can't teach us things about the kingdom of God. God is not limited. When the Holy Spirit comes, he has a tendency to to smash the boxes that we put God in. When the Holy Spirit is present, our formulas begin to not make as much sense. And God begins to control things in a way that makes us feel out of control. I think one of the reasons we struggle to trust God and to let the Holy Spirit work in us and in our lives is because we want to control life. It feels much more comfortable and secure to have our hands wrapped around our lives. And it feels out of control and uncomfortable to step back and to say, okay, God, I'm yours. You do what you want. Because the Holy Spirit has this tendency to take us places that make us uncomfortable. And ask us to do things that make us uncomfortable. And to challenge us about things that make us uncomfortable. But the point of all of it is not to just make our lives miserable. The point of it is to experience the fullness and the blessing of God that can only come from trusting Him and from taking our hands off our lives and letting God do with us what He desires to do. And what Joel is trying to tell us is that's not something that should frighten us. That's something that should cause us to rejoice. I think one of the most significant things that the Spirit does to us, that challenges us, is how we respond to, how we treat our enemies. Beginning of verse, for the first 16 verses of chapter 3, there's a description of how God is going to judge the enemies of his people. What we tend to want to do with the passages like that is to say, oh, now we have the right to judge people too. But the truth is, that's God's work. God judges people. It might make us uncomfortable that God judges people who have opposed his people. But God is a God of justice. 
God is not going to let evil go. God is going to address evil. Because what's the alternative? God says to evil, doesn't matter, I don't care. God addresses evil. God is a God of justice. The problem is, we want to judge it too. But the call on us is not to judge people. The call on our our lives is to be agents of God's justice in the world. But to do that, not from a spirit of vengeance or spirit of judgment, but from a spirit of love. Like God does. The hard part for us when we read some of these prophecies is that it feels like all of this is coming from, from God having a heart of vengeance. But the truth is, God cannot act in any way that is not loving. God always acts out of love because that's the nature and the character of God. And when God pronounces judgment, as he does on Israel, as he does on other nations, it is not because he is being vengeful toward them. It's because he loves them and he wants to see them turn around. And the call on us is to love our enemies. To forgive our enemies. It's not whitewashing evil. It's not whitewashing sin. In fact, when Jesus, we prayed earlier, forgive us our sins as we forgive others that sin against us. The whole point of that is that people have sinned against us. We've been hurt. But it helps me to remember that I've also hurt other people. I am a walking reason why people need to ask, need to uh, love their enemies too, just as much as other people are to me. What I find fascinating is that the book of Ezekiel, chapter 32, God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring judgment on these nations around Israel. But Ezekiel, weep, because that's necessary. In another part of of Ezekiel's prophecy, God says to him in chapter 18, verse 23, Do you think I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. You hear God's heart in that. And of course, that's why Jesus can say to us, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. For when you do this... You are acting as true children of your Father in heaven. This is what it looks like to be the children of God. We love those who hurt us. We love those who are opposed to us. We work for justice. We work to to end evil. But we do it not from a spirit of vengeance, but from a spirit of love and compassion that matches the heart of God. Because the day is coming when all we will know is love. And when you get to the last section of this book, the last four or five verses beginning in chapter 3, verse 17, God says, I know I've been talking about the day of the Lord that's been frightening and it's been judgment. But when you get to, when you see what the day of the Lord is truly like, when you get to the end of it, it is God being with his people. It is God ushering in the kingdom of love and joy and peace and grace in all of its fullness. 
The great promise that God ends this prophecy with is that I will make my home with my people. Home is the the place of security. Home is the place we can be yourself. Home home is where you can can kick off your shoes. you You can just relax. That's home. It's a place of safety and security. And God says to us, that's where I'm going to bring you. I'm going to live. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to make my home with you. Think of that. The almighty God, the creator of all things, the sovereign of all things says, I'm going to make my home with you. My people. It begins when John writes in, his, in the first chapter of his gospel, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Made his dwelling among us. When I read that this part of Joel's prophecy, I can't help but think of Revelation 21. Where he says, I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city. And in that city, the river was running through and there were trees for the healing of the nations. And I have created this place, your home. I'm restoring all that's been broken. I'm restoring all that's been destroyed. I am making a new earth and it will be glorious. It will be your dwelling place and I will dwell with you. This is God's ultimate blessing to us. In chapter 2, verse 25, he says, I'm going to restore all the years that the locusts took from you. And I think that that's what God is doing. Even now and ultimately fully. We sometimes live with a sense of shame and guilt at, at, you know, the destruction of our sin and the hurt and pain of our sin. And and the evil one whispers in our ears, you know, you're never going to get away from that. You're always going to have to live with that. You're never going to be free from that. Yeah, God can forgive you, but but you look at all you lost. Look at all the pain. Look at everything that's been bad. And God says to us, I can restore that. I can make that new. That's my promise to you. That's my word to you. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He restores and reconciles and redeems. And all that was broken and shattered and destroyed, all of the pain, God restores and heals because he loves us. It comes back to that hinge point. In chapter 2, return to me. Acknowledge your need for me. Come, confess your sins. Pour out your heart to me. Follow me. God has so much he wants to give us. So many blessings on that day ultimately, but now too. He's just waiting for us to say, I'm ready. I'm yours. Here I am. And our lives can be different. 
We can be, we don't have to live in mediocrity. We can live in the fullness of all that God has for us. Through the power of his spirit at work in us. If we will let him. Gracious Father, thank you for your spirit at work in us. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for all the ways in which we turn away from you. Make us new. Make us new. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. In whose name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. So we, I'm part of like a flag football team, and um, we were going to have practice today. I would have forgotten, but I looked at it. We do Song of My Heart, and then we do a video. Then we come back and do Okay. We were going to have practice today at Lumen, and some of us were like, wait, it's Sunday, let's not. And